I'm M. Sauter, better known as Pints and Panels. And I'm Don Tess, better known as the Don of Beer. Welcome to the 18th episode of the All About Beer podcast. Every two weeks, we take we talk with leading experts and take a deep dive into one topic in beer. Visit allaboutbeer.com and follow us on social media at allaboutbeer. And if you're feeling generous, throw us a couple dollars at our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash allaboutbeer to support this show and others. This week on the show, we're going to talk about glassware. Don, I know you have a favorite glass. What do you typically drink out of when you're at home? <laughs> um, you're going to regret asking that question because, of course, I'm going <laughs> to go did. deep dive. Well, <laughs> while I was uh, saying it, I was like, you know, maybe I shouldn't ask this question. <laughs> Four hours later. Um, <laughs> uh, well, uh, like most things, I think that there's an appropriate glass. I have a favorite glass for different styles of beer, but um, my most kind of common, my universal glass have these tall glasses that are sort of hourglass shaped they're narrow in the middle and bulbous at the top and i i like the different um widths of it because then i can see different colors i like the bulbous top because it captures the aromas and forms a head and i like how tall it is because one of the things i love is watching the beading mm. in a glass and i like how if people haven't noticed the bubbles get faster the higher it goes and they get bigger the higher it goes and so i like tall glasses for that um but how about you ma'am ah well uh, i'm not gonna be as fancy as you <laughs> i mean i normally just drink out of a juice jar or a mason jar but i right. do have a really nice i know but it's 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 utility you know it it it's a it's a good glass for yeah. sharing if you're sharing a can like it's that's what you know, that's what glassware is about. We're going to get into a great conversation with two guests where we're going to talk about glassware. Is it important or not? I, I do I just want to confirm, though, that when you drink out of a juice jar, you take the juice out first. Oh, right? yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. sometimes if I'm drinking hazy IPA, it looks like juice. <laughs> it's good. It's a secret. Um, I do like Belgian glassware as well. I mean, they really know what they're doing. The branding, the styling. I mean, it's it's just I mean, they 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 get it. They really yeah. get it. It's classy. So, yeah. So we'll introduce our guests and get into a conversation. But first, if you'd like to help support the All About Beer podcast, reach out to podcast at allaboutbeer.com. All About Beer is back, and we're asking for your support to help provide the independent beer media this rich and colorful industry deserves. Visit our website, allaboutbeer.com, where we're frequently posting new content. And please consider throwing us a few bucks at patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. We have low-cost memberships for individuals and small and large companies alike. Every dollar goes to help produce new articles and podcasts. Estrella Galicia is an independent, family-owned brewery in Northwest Spain, founded in 1906. Estrella Galicia Cerveza Especial is a world-class lager, brewed using the finest Spanish malts, locally cultivated Galician hops, and the best brewing practices made out of the state-of-the-art facility in Acruña. Recognized around the world for quality and exceptional character, Estrella Galicia is a beer like no other. To learn more about Estrella Galicia, follow them at Estrella Galicia USA on Instagram. Attention all managers and team leaders. Are you looking to provide your staff with the best training in the beer industry? Look no further than the Beer Savvy Online by the Cicerone Certification Program. With their online training, your team can master the fundamentals of excellent beer service, beer styles, and flavor in just a few hours. Plus, you can monitor their learning progress as a manager. 
And here's some exciting news. Saturday, April 22nd, is Beer Clean Glass Day, a day that celebrates the importance of clean glassware and beer service. What better way to mark this occasion by ensuring your team is well-trained in all aspects of beer service, including maintaining clean glassware? By completing the Beer Savvy course, your team can earn a globally recognized beer industry credential and set your business apart as a leader in the industry. To learn more about Beer Savvy Online and group training options, visit Cicerone.org and click on the group training button. Give your staff the tools they need to succeed in the beer industry today. Max Finance is a Master Cicerone, Master BJCP judge, and most recently a certified pommelier. Ooh, fancy. Way to go, Max. He is a Senior Manager of Education and Training for Artisanal Brewing Ventures, ABV, and also volunteers with the Brewers Association's Mentorship Program. He lives in Connecticut with his wife, two dogs, and far more glassware than any household could ever justify. He can be found on social media and Instagram, especially at Max Finance. Welcome to the show, Max. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. So I guess uh, I have a very important first question which is, is glassware important? So, all right, to jump right into it, uh, I think glassware is exactly as important as you think it is, which is oh. to say both yes and no. Okay. Uh, you know, I think one of the really important things that glassware does is it shows you how much attention the person who's serving you a beer is paying to that beer. So just putting it in a glass is already superior to putting it in a plastic cup. Um, as the glass gets fancier, you perceive that your host is paying more attention to the beer and that counts for something for sure. But I've seen some evidence that the actual shape of the glass, the style of the glass doesn't have an impact on your perception of the beer. If you can take the subconscious out of things. So the reality is that you can't take the subconscious out of things. So it starts to matter, uh, even though maybe it shouldn't. Does that make does that make sense? Is that too much? Too, too, too <laughs> well, I, I kind of want to. I kind of want to talk about what evidence. So you say that ev there's evidence that the glassware doesn't actually matter, like it could matter or not, depending on like you know where you are. Well, like you know when Max and I have been to Belgium together, and we you know you go to Belgium and you get these beautiful like, or going to Orval and having a glass in that Orval green glass is you know it heightens everything. Um, but what evidence is there that, you know, maybe that's, you know, just fanciness and luxury, you know, what, what am I missing here? Well, it comes down to, you know, the science goes back to the guys like Charles Spence, uh, Dr. Bill Simpson, who runs the Aroxa classes is a big proponent of this, you know, and, and they will say that if you can put a human in a box, basically, and blindfold them, and they don't get to see the glass, and they don't get to touch the glass, uh, both important because you, you consume and, you know, your brain is forming all these opinions about aroma and taste based on all of the other aspects that are around it. Uh, but but if you can put a human in a box blindfolded and they don't get to touch the glass, then their sensory perception of the beer will be identical, whether it's from a shaker pint glass or a Belgian tulip. Mm. Uh, hmm. Which is pretty Science. wild, I know. But But the reality, like I said, <laughs> is that humans don't consume beer that way. So once you get to see the glass and once you get to touch mm -hmm. the glass, then things like a thinner lip and a stem and a fancy design or a logoed glass, as is so popular in Belgium, those start to come into your perception. And you realize that the more attention the bar or your host pays to the glass, 
the better the overall experience is. Do, do you happen to know in that study, did they only talk about flavor perception or did they also talk about aroma? And the reason I ask is that I think some glassware manufacturers would say, oh, you know, we, uh, we have this narrow opening and that concentrates the aroma or whatever. I don't have a good answer for that, Don, and I wish I okay. did. I've tried to find the study myself, and so I'm, I'm going on secondhand knowledge here. Um, but, you know, I, I have read Charles Spence's books, and I've taken uh, Dr. Simpson's week-long course, and I have the utmost faith in what these guys say about sensory, and everything else seems to support this idea. Uh, and both of those gentlemen pay so much attention to aroma on top of flavor that I, I think it would be silly if it didn't pay attention to aroma. Uh, but, you know, if the color of your plate can change how much you enjoy your dessert, it sort of seems to make sense to me that the shape of the glass is going to change how much you enjoy your beer, even if it does nothing for the actual sensory experience. Right. Or, or at least the way your nose works, maybe, is a better way to put that. <laughs> so the glassware, so like when glassware has like an inward taper for sn snifters and whatnot, that's, mm -hmm. that's, uh not concentrating the aroma or like large fishbowl glasses like a belgium like a chalice glass with big foam i guess that's all visual well and so, sorry to interrupt you know no, I think it, all goes, it all goes back to this idea that uh if you think it matters it does matter so if, if we assume that the inward taper concentrates the aroma then we're probably going to pick up more heightened aromatics in that glass and that's not you being crazy or being, you know, tricked into the placebo effect. That's just the complicated way that the brain works. Well, the, you know, you, you used a phrase there that I love, placebo effect. You know, the pl placebo effect is a real thing, right? So people very often discount placebo effect, but why? It's a real thing. And so, like you say, difference in glassware might be placebo effect. And I'm like, yeah. That's great. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with placebo effect, right? I right. think uh, we should even take advantage of it where we can. And, you know, knowingly manipulating that, and I think manipulating has a dirty connotation to it, but I don't even mean it that way. Um, but sort of, if you're running a bar, if you're serving someone else a beer, and you get to do things that you know are going to heighten their experience, uh, it would be a shame for you not to do them, right? Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, there's, there's nothing like having a, like, I, I keep thinking of, you know, when we were in Belgium, and the glassware is so beautiful, and so taken care of, regardless of, I've been to dive bars in Belgium, where they gave me the most beautiful Chimay I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and so it's really interesting how each culture has kind of this thing with where like in America, you go to a bar, and you order a beer and it comes in a different brewery's glassware. <laughs> um, and it could may or may not be clean, who knows? Uh, whereas, you know, and there's so many different versions of each country's glassware. That's really, really fascinating. And it's very regional. And I, I love it. I love it so much. Yeah. And, you know, um, I think that gets back to the point that, uh, how a bar or a restaurant treats their glassware shows you something about how they care about the beer service overall. And one thing that, you know, I've been to a lot of bars in Belgium uh, as well as some with you and some without you. And one thing that I've noticed is I don't think I've ever found a dirty draft line there. Right. And I don't think I've ever been served a dirty glass there. And so them starting with every brand gets its own individual logo glassware is 
not the starting point and the ending point. It's just indicative of this overall cultural appreciation for beer and appreciation for taking care of the beer and, and proper service, right? So many bars you go to in America, uh, you, you get a dirty glass, you get beer from a dirty draft line. And then by the time it gets to you in a shaker pint with the wrong logo on it, that's just sort of the last strike or the, the last flag that you get to spot as an indicator that beer maybe isn't their top priority. My right. rule is if there are more people in the bar drinking bottles, you don't order the draft. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good rule. That's the rule. Um, do you have a favorite glass? Like what's the glass, like at home, at home, or let's yeah, say that's... like dream glass, like what do you drink out of at home? I do. Yeah, I, I do have a favorite glass and it's a Belgian tulip style. Uh, I was pretty actually lucky or grateful, maybe is a better word. Last year at CBC, uh, I got a duplicate that's the exact same shape from one of the uh, parties that we went to. But the original one that I had been drinking out of was from a now defunct bar in Antwerp. And it's just a, it's a thin glass, but it's a really nice tulip shape. And I find it works well for just about every style of beer that I put into it. And I was always a little bit hesitant to use it after the bar closed down because I knew it became irreplaceable. Uh, so, so I was grateful to get one from Surly at the uh, Hopsteiner party last year that was uh, a, a really nice replacement for that glass. Uh, stemmed? Yes, stemmed yeah. tulip glass. Do you, um, you did talk about, you know, shape and, and therefore flavor and aroma perception, but do you have thoughts on, you know, you I prefer stemmed glassware because I can keep my fingers off the bowl, which uh, leaves the temperature cooler for longer. Do you have thoughts on that? I think that's the best argument for stem going, Don. Yeah, I, I think. I just completely made that up. <laughs> no, well, no, you're yeah. right, Tom. It, it's a really good argument because not just can you keep the beer cooler, but you can affect the temperature however you want to, right? If, if the beer is too cold and you want to warm it up, then you hold the glass by the bowl. And if you're hoping, you know, once that beer gets to the appropriate temperature and you don't want to warm it up anymore, then you switch your grip and you hold it by the stem and you sort of stay in that sweet spot a little bit longer than you might if it was a stemless version of a tulip glass. Great. Um, uh, well, go ahead, Don. I was just going to ask, okay, so you have your favorite glass. Yeah. Do you have any um, tips on, uh, so for yourself at home, and then also what a customer should be looking for at their favorite tap room in terms of how do you, do you put your glasses in the, in the dishwasher? Do you rinse them out before you put beer in them? Like, how do you ensure you have uh, clean glassware? And then similarly, do you have tips for customers going into a tap room for the first time, what should they be looking for uh, in terms of clean glassware? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and I, I will say this is an area that I think the Cicerone program really excels and the Brewers Association really excels as well. There's some great free resources out there for people. Uh, it's a little bit more of a deep dive, but the Brewers Association's draft beer quality manual has some excellent information on you know, best practices for cleaning glasses and also spotting dirty glasses. It's a real, uh, it's a real beach read. It, <laughs> yeah, I highly recommend. I highly recommend. I have brought that book to the beach. Highly recommend it. It's, a, it's a great book, actually. I've read it multiple times. Oh, it's nerdy, but it's yeah. For glassware, it's wonderful. And you were drinking beer out of a can at the beach when you were reading it. That's oh, geez. Of course, you had to bring that up. <laughs> Go ahead, man. I just want, yeah. I just want to say it's a real beach read. 
Yeah, uh, may, maybe not a beach read, but I think it's pretty <laughs> darn accessible for for the sort of information it's getting into, especially the sections on the glassware and clean glassware. Uh, you don't have to be managing a draft system at a restaurant to, to appreciate that section. But so on a personal basis, um, I do hand wash all my glasses, but that's more a reflection of the fact that even though my wife and I have a dishwasher, it almost never gets run. Uh, we're both sort of just hand wash the dishes on a daily basis sort of people and don't let the dishwasher pile up. Uh, even if I did run the dishwasher though, I prefer hand washing the beer glasses. I think once you sort of get the routine down and if you're not afraid to get in there and scrub and uh, make sure there's no residue left, it doesn't take much work to properly clean a beer glass and you can get really good results. I do like to rinse with water before I use it, but I'm not gonna lie to you and say that I'm an absolute stickler for that. Sometimes I'll just grab a glass out of the cabinet, grab a beer out of the fridge and pour it. Uh, I, I do think that I almost never drink a beer out of the glass or out of the bottle if I'm at home. It almost always goes into a glass. So that's something that I am pretty particular about. Max, okay. why would you rinse a glass before you use it? Just in case there's any little bits of dust that have sort of settled into the glass, it's also really good for wetting the surface of the inside of the glass, uh, not to get too technical or geeky. Uh, but you, you reduce the surface friction of the glass when you're going to pour the beer into it. So you're going to get a more appropriate pour uh, with less foam breakout than you would otherwise necessarily want to get. Surfactant, right? Exactly. That, yes. That's, that's an even better yeah, I was, I was going to say, Max, you're among nerds here. This is, uh, <laughs> so I think, uh, I think you can get as nerdy as you like. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, in terms of washing your glass, uh, do you put dish soap in it? And then do you use a, a sponge or a towel or Brillo pad or steel wool or what? I use Dawn dish soap and a sponge. And I know that there are people that would say even that is too much. Uh, but I've always had really good results with that at home. Okay. I, you know, I think if you try and get to a point where you're using bartender's friend and going through some really exacting regimen for your home glassware cleaning, then it just gets to be so much work that you don't want to do it anymore. And we're talking about drinking beer, right? This is supposed to be fun. Yes, I agree with that. But, yeah, I'm, yeah, this is super. Oh, wait, I also have my, I want to go back to a question. What was the best glass you've ever drank out of? Because I know that I'm sure Don and I have an answer to this. Um, but like, what was like a glass you were like, I would like to steal this. But I will not. Uh, I will not do that. Obviously, because we're not we're not going to steal from a establishment. That would be rude. Of course. I don't. I don't know if I have a great answer for that in the world of beer. Uh, there... Oh no! But if it was a different. If it's a different alcohol or wherever, then yeah, that's that's applicable. So that's what I was going to say. Is I was at a wine bar one time and got served a glass of wine in a. It's called a Zalto Universal glass. And I did a little bit of Googling after I figured out what the glass was, and they're like $60 a stem. So it's oh. basically oh. irresponsible for someone to have these at home unless you're truly wealthy. Um, but the glass was so thin, the stem was so thin, the whole bowl and the lip were so thin that it was almost distracting from the quality of the wine. And it, it really took me a little <laughs> bit of an adjustment period to even get used to like picking up and putting down the glass without being afraid I was going to break it but you could immediately tell that you were drinking out of an incredibly high quality piece of glassware. And so of course, you know, this was a wine bar that paid a lot of attention to their wine. Is there a beer equivalent of that glass? Do you think? 
I think the same company makes some glassware that is beer specific, um, but I haven't dug too deep because I really don't want to even get in the back of my head that I should buy something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, it's one of those things you pretend like, I don't like to even the idea of flying first class because I don't want to get used to it. Uh, and I don't want to get used to drinking out of $75 beer glasses either. I'm perfectly happy with my free Belgian tulip glass. Hey, if it works, it works. I mean, that's I that's my favorite glass too. Those that Belgian, like I have a twelve ounce Belgian tulip glass. That that's what I gravitate towards a lot. That's what most of my glassware. Not to not to talk about pints and panels, but when pints and panels is glassware, it's usually thirteen ounce Belgian tulips because it, that's just that's just a great glass for everything, you know. Yeah. And it, and it's beer. You it's a beer specific glass. There's something about it that says, "Here is beer, drink me." And I love that aspect of that glass. I think it's a great one. And I will just clarify, I know exactly which shape glass you're talking about. The tulip that's my favorite is a little bit taller and a little bit skinnier than that glass. Yes, I know. actually was just about to say, I'm talking about a different side. You have like, yours almost has like a little hat on it. Because I have the, I have that surly glass as well. Yeah. Um, and that's a really, really nice one for like, because that'll hold a full pint. Correct. Um, that's a really, really nice glass. That also just feels that's there's something about the stem that feels special. Um, do you have any thoughts about like the new glasses, like a Teku or the IPA glass, the stout glass, those Rustall fancy glasses, like anything like that? Do you think those are good examples of things that be you know good beer glasses? Essentially, is what I'm asking. I like the Teku glass a lot. I have a couple of them in my cabinet. Uh, I think if I wasn't going to reach for my favorite glass that'd probably be my second glass that i would reach for especially if i wanted something with a stem why, like, would, that, why would that be just to i i just like the shape of it uh, i think it's comfortable in the hand and I, I think you know oftentimes i'll split a bottle with someone or, or with several friends so i don't need that full 12 ounce or 16 ounce capacity and i think a, a four or five ounce pour in a teku looks like the right amount um i also like some of the really traditional glasses too you know uh a footed pilsner glass and a dimpled mug are sort of some of my go-tos as well depending on the beer that i'm drinking and i didn't want to gloss over it too much but i i think that's another thing where coming to a restaurant or a bar that pays attention to their glassware uh starts to become part of the experience right historical significance for glassware is a real thing and that's one of the reasons why cicerone sort of pays attention to that um, you know, and asks, what's the traditional glass for a Bach? What's the traditional glass for an Irish stout? And knowing those things becomes important because it sh it's one more way to show people that you understand what you're talking about and you care about what's going on and how you're presenting that to the customer or to your guests in a more sophisticated way. Right. It's, it's like oh, a yeah. lingo. It's so good when you go to a brewery and they have all the glasses because then you're like, oh, they know, they get it. Well, then you could order your beer by the glass. I want, I want, I want whatever beer comes in that glass. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's a lot. I mean, I work part time at Fox Farm and a lot of people see that it's the check mug that does it. They see the big check mug and they're like, what comes that? I want that. And I'm like, well, you can only get the check pilsner. And they're like, sure, fine, whatever. I want that mug because <laughs> there's something so sturdy and utilitarian and like full about that mug that says like here is here is beer in its simplest form drink me 
Absolutely. Uh, that's a like a really, really nice thing about beer is that the glass should say, drink me. <laughs> like, here I am. Enjoy me. Like, this is my, me in my best form. This is how the brewer intended it. This is how the like culture intended it, especially when we're talking about like Germans, Czechs, Belgians. I mean, every country and culture has different beer glasses. And it's always so fascinating to see how things are poured and how things are drank because it's really, really fascinating how the difference is. And um, it's great. I love it. And, and typically if you deep dive into, you know, why those glasses are the way they are, there's usually some good historic reason for it too. So it's a good way to connect beer to other aspects of culture, I think. Yeah. Sure. And, 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 you know, at the end of the day, I think some of it just comes down to good marketing too, right? The, uh, some of those glasses don't have a real historic relevance, but they're well designed and they look nice on the bar and some marketing team said that's going to sell some extra beer and i'm sure they were right right the, the example that always comes to mind for me with that is stella artois uh, with their really fancy chalice that we see in the us but if you go to belgium i've never seen stella in that sort of chalice glass uh the first mm. time i saw stella poured on a bar in belgium it came out in basically what looks like a lambic glass right tall yep. Uh, straight edges with with a bit of a taper to it and mm. not a remarkably fancy glass at all and like a fancy shaker basically yeah like like yeah. a shaker maybe with a little bit of cut glass on it yeah um, um my follow-up question is why did you order a stella in in belgium <laughs> don't don't worry don i'm not going to disappoint you i didn't order it the guy next to me at the bar did oh okay <laughs> <laughs> it was uh like when we went and um we went when you and I went to that the rustic pub after Trey Fontaine. Oh, did we drink Stella there? We might have drank. No, Stella. we didn't. But we had Al, was it Alkin Mace? Is the I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. I apologize to all my Belgian friends. Um, but it comes in that it comes in the same glass, that lambic tumbler. Essentially, it yes. doesn't come in any kind of fancy glass. Um, and that's like a, I almost think it's like the Belgian shaker, essentially. Right um and you know sometimes a simple glass is best for a simple beer and there's nothing wrong with that right yeah and then sometimes you get you know a orval glass with the, like cut you know food like foot and the beautiful you know painted screen printing and it has the gold top and you're just like hell yeah like <laughs> everything's gonna be okay <laughs> or any of the german like german steins are really like you know we they've you know they have made beautiful stoneware and now glassware for centuries and it really shows how much the german you know how they much they care about the product um and like what they're drinking and there's nothing more beautiful than like a i had a half liter of hofbrau at the airport in munich and it was the most beautiful thing i've ever seen i think i've talked about that beer multiple times on multiple episodes of this podcast uh because it blew my mind how beautiful and i was like all hung over and out of it from a flight and it was just great and it made the glass and the beer made it tolerable and that's that's the best part about everything i'm just so <laughs> upbeat about glassware i think it's, i love it even if i'm the one that's like drinking out of coffee mugs i think it's still a really great like expression it's a really great way to heighten the experience of beer and I know from experience that you have a favorite beer glass in Belgium as well, right? Oh, yes. The Cine Blonde glass. I love that glass. Yeah. 
the Cine Blonde, which actually is like, it's a fine beer. Um, it's essentially it's a snifter, and with a silver top, and it has a beautiful blue and white logo where the eye is a steeple. And I make everyone anytime we go to Belgium go to Alla Mortsubit and use and have that surly weight staff. And we all I make everyone order a Cine Blonde so they can enjoy that. Got glasses. I made Max do it. I made everybody do it. Don, Don? What, what yeah. about you, Don? Favorite glass? Um, you know you. I don't. Uh, well, I I do, and it's kind of long and complicated. But I'm more, I'm more different glasses for different beers. I'd say, like I like I like my imperial stouts and snifters. I like my IPAs and something taller. I like my pilsners and something very tall. Um, but uh, after what Max uh, told us at the very beginning, uh, I'm drinking everything out of my quack glass now from now on. <laughs> <laughs> the, the most impractical glass of all time. Imper yep. Yeah, your imperial stouts with your like wood handle. Well, actually, you're not supposed to drink out of the handle. You're supposed to take it out of the handle. Isn't that uh, correct? Which, which I do. Yeah. Okay, good. All right. Just making yeah. sure. Um, that's, <laughs> that sounds like something you would do, Don. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do have one uh, quick follow-up question about cleaning. Um, I've heard of some people sprinkling a little salt in the glass before, either before or after they rinse it, uh, but before they put beer in it, what's the deal with that? And do you recommend, or do you think that's ridiculous? That's a great question. And I, I sort of got sidetracked there, I think, when I was talking about glass cleaning and sort of how I do it and never got to really answering how to spot a dirty glass or spot a clean glass. Um, the salt test, as it's affectionately called, is a good way to do that, right? You, you have a glass, you wet the inside of the glass, there's no beer in the glass. So this is that's one of the keys to this test. And you just sprinkle a little bit of salt inside the glass. And in a clean glass, it should stick to the sides of the glass uniformly. And in a dirty glass, you'll get clumping and there will be spots on the glass that don't have salt and other spots that have a big old wad of salt on the side of the glass. And so if it's not uniformly adhering to that wet glass, that's a sign that there's some film there. Um, it, I'll be honest with you, it's not a test that I do at home. I I'm at the point now where I trust my glass washing process. Every once in a while, I pour a beer in a glass and say, oh, that wasn't perfect. Um, but again, we're drinking beer, especially in a home setting. Uh, this is supposed to be fun, and it's not supposed to be something that stresses you out. So ending up with a glass full of uh, beer, even if there's a little bit of bubbles on the side of the glass, which is a sign of a nucleation site, and that's a sign of a glass that's not clean, Right? That's probably the easiest way when you're at a bar to spot a beer handed to you in a not clean glass. There's bubbles all up and down the side of the glass. Uh, but at home, that's not the end of the world. Just don't put a picture of that beer on Instagram or Facebook so that your beer friends can uh, tear you to shreds. And, right, the dirty glass mafia shows <laughs> up and uh, starts yelling about your dirty glassware. Um, yeah, the, if I was running a restaurant and I was really trying to dial in my glass washing regimen, I think the salt test is a good way to do that without wasting a lot of beer. But for your average home beer consumer, probably above and beyond what's actually necessary. Thank you. Yeah. For sure. Anything else, John? No, I've, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited to put a Imperial Stout in the fridge so that I can have it from my quack glass later. Yeah, and I'm going to break out my 1970s Garfield mugs, um, which are my favorite glassware. Uh, actually, the McDonald's 1980s 
LA Olympics glass is my go-to now, uh, which is a, a, it's an eight ounce uh, glass mug. And it is, it's a great, great glass for sharing a 16 ounce because it, it does seven ounces like, or eight ounces really well. So that's my go-to um, and tulip glasses. So it's just, it's, I just like the presentation of glassware. I think it looks beautiful uh, when done well. Uh, there's nothing worse than a dirty glass. It stresses me out. Uh, but at home, I, I can whatever. hear the stress in your voice even as you said that. So, at home, so, it's fine. So, Emma, I have a question for you, and I think I know the answer to this based off of your personality. But if you get a oh, dirty no. glass at a bar, what do you do about it? I just bang out the glass. <laughs> <laughs> you can bang out those bubbles. If it's filthy, um, I will say something. Uh, I will say um, during COVID, I ate outside and it was my first draft beer in a really long time. And they and it was a Guinness and they served me the filthiest looking Guinness glass. And I said, I do not care. I am so happy to have a draft Guinness. I haven't had one in over a year. And I drank the whole thing and didn't say anything. Um, but normally if I like, normally you just kind of like hit it on the table and you can bang out the the bubbles and hope for the best. So. But if it's really filthy, I'm gonna. I'm not drinking it. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I I sort of draw the line at like if, if there's lipstick around the rim of the glass, or if there's Oof. visible grime on the lip of the glass, I, I will ask for a new one. But mm -hmm. bubbles, bubbles on the inside, I'm not the type of person to complain to a bar about that. Yeah, again, yeah. you hit it on the bar and they go away. Especially if it's a little. If it's a lot and it's like sometimes the bubbles are like small and slimy then yeah, you're going to hear from me. Uh, but uh, most of the time, if it's just some bubbles, you know, like you're at the dive bar and you know, whatever, it's fine. Just I feel out. like that you, when you're at the dive bar, it's not the best time to be a beer geek and be, <laughs> be super geeky about things probably, like this. Probably. Just drink your beer. Why yeah. aren't you pouring my Budweiser <laughs> through a side pole tap? <laughs> I, want I want Budweiser out of a side pole. That sounds awesome. Yeah, that's not a bad idea, Don. Oh my right? God, Don. Don, let's start a bar. Oh, trademark. Sorry. Okay. God damn it. That's true. But Don is a lawyer. So I was starting to think that the dive bars up in Canada were better than the ones we have down here. Yeah. Yeah. We don't do side. And there's no side pull at my dive bar. Um, but yeah. All right. Wonderful. Any uh Don, any other questions? No, I'm 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 happy. Yep. Max, this has been very enlightening and I'm really appreciative to have you come on the All About Beer podcast to talk glassware because you are ex you're one of the smartest beer people I know. And so we're very glad that you came on to talk about glassware. And uh, yeah, um, if people want to follow you on the socials or anything else, where can they find info about you? Well, the listeners can't see it, but you're making me blush over here. So thank you. Uh, <laughs> pleasure to be on the show today. I really appreciate the invite. Happy to come back anytime. Um, on Instagram, I am at Max Finance, all one word, nothing fancy. And uh, that's about the only social I pay attention to these days. I got, I got off the beer Twitter uh, when things started getting crazy over there. Yeah, sounds about right. So, all right, cool. Well, thank you very much. We really appreciate all your expertise. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks thank a lot. You, you guys have a great day. Cheers. 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 Estrella Galicia is an independent family-owned brewery in Northwest Spain, founded in 1906. Estrella Galicia Cerveza Especial is a world-class lager, brewed using the finest Spanish malts, locally cultivated Galician hops, and the best brewing practices made out of the state-of-the-art facility in Acruña. Recognized around the world for quality and exceptional character, 
Estrella Galicia is a beer like no other. To learn more about Estrella Galicia, follow them at Estrella Galicia USA on Instagram. All About Beer is back, and we're asking for your support to help provide the independent beer media this rich and colorful industry deserves. Visit our website, allaboutbeer.com, where we're frequently posting new content. And please consider throwing us a few bucks at patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. We have low-cost memberships for individuals and small and large companies alike. Every dollar goes to help produce new articles and podcasts. Attention all managers and team leaders. Are you looking to provide your staff with the best training in the beer industry? Look no further than the Beer Savvy Online by the Cicerone Certification Program. With their online training, your team can master the fundamentals of excellent beer service, beer styles, and flavor in just a few hours. Plus, you can monitor their learning progress as a manager. And here's some exciting news. Saturday, April 22nd, is Beer Clean Glass Day, a day that celebrates the importance of clean glassware and beer service. What better way to mark this occasion by ensuring your team is well-trained in all aspects of beer service, including maintaining clean glassware? By completing the Beer Savvy course, your team can earn a globally recognized beer industry credential and set your business apart as a leader in the industry. To learn more about Beer Savvy Online and group training options, visit Cicerone.org and click on the group training button. Give your staff the tools they need to succeed in the beer industry today. Matthew Cummings is the founder and captain of Pretentious Craft Co. One part brewery, one part glassblowing studio. He is a classically trained painter with an MFA in glass sculpture. He lost he launched Pretentious Glass in December of 2012 on Etsy as a side hustle to support his sculptural work. In an unexpected twist, the glassware company went viral on Food Beast and Huffington Post. The side hustle turned into an 80-hour work week to keep up with demand, and it never slowed down. Fast forward a few years, Matthew has his own glassblowing studio in downtown Knoxville, Tennessee, and opened up Pretentious Beer Company next door a microbrewery focused on the craft of craft beer. It is the only place in the world where you can drink beer made in-house out of glassware made in-house and watch everything being produced. Welcome to the show, Matthew. Hi, thanks. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. So I want to ask about pretentious glassware and your brewery because I don't think I've ever heard of such a thing. Do other, like, do other glassblowing studios have breweries? <laughs> yeah that's a pretty like niche. There, there's seven thousand of us no, I mean... uh, <laughs> yeah i mean as far as i know we're the only place in the world where we make our own beer and make our own glassware that's so cool um i guess my question is more glass blowing side like how hard is it into like make a glass like i've watched glass blowers work before at glass blowing studios do you go in with a, all right, we're going to blow uh, like glass for a hazy IPA today, or are you just, is it like a feeling? Are you working with the, you know, with the, what will become a glass and you're like, oh, I love this design. Let's, uh, let's try, you know, or is it like jazz where you're improvising or yes. how does everything work? Cause I don't, I don't know anything about glass blowing. It's fascinating to me. Right. Right. Okay. Well, so it's like, it depends on if we're making our, more of our flagship production pieces. Mm-hmm. And we'll we'll tend to do those for at least like three hours at a time if okay. we're doing like a design, just because since it is so in-depthly handmade, it takes a minute to get synced up with the glass. You know, even if you've made hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of that glass, it still takes you a minute every day. So we try to do it in bigger uh, groups of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we're, if I'm like designing new glassware, like, like, um, 
I've got a set of wine glasses that we're about to launch um, in oh, a cool. month or so. And so those is definitely more improv. Like I'll go in okay. with a few ideas, see what the glass wants to do because it has so much personality. Um, mm. The material itself does. Um, and it's when you get the best results or when you kind of let yourself go and you listen to what the glass wants to do because it knows the best way uh, to get a good result. Like it, however it moves the most, most organically is what's going to be the most beautiful thing. And that's really similar to like making really good lagers. Right. We want to take that to the beer side, like making a great lager is about not getting in the way of the process and making it as smooth and organic as possible. That's a really good point. That is awesome. <laughs> I'm so I'm assuming you make good loggers on the brew, the beer side. We I love to make loggers. I love to, I hope that they're good loggers, but we we like yeah, big logger fan. Nice. I think boy, you're talking to some logger heads as well. So um, yeah. so your glassware has some really unique shapes. You know, I was looking at your rear website and there's like a tipsy one, there's some really tall ones. Um do you come up with, is that like the design for the, like the tipsy, the one that kind of leans and then some uh -huh. other, like, how did, how does that come about? Like, are you like, I want to make a glass that leans or I want to, you know, make this, I love this beer. So I want to make a lager glass with a beautiful handle for a mug, let's say like, uh, yeah. what's, your, what's your inspiration? Um, I mean, there's, I've, cause also I've been doing this for like 10 years now for okay. over 10 years. So there are so many different ways that I find inspiration. And that's one of the beautiful things about being an artist. It's, it's your development is learning how to see, uh, not learning to be a great artist. It's learning how to see and see inspiration, everything around you. So like the, um, like the mug, our foamy boy, that's like, so we got Luker taps in last year. And we're just, you know, in love, enamored with the, with how the lucre taps affect the beer, mm -hmm. uh, and the protein structure in the head. And so it's like, let's do a mug specifically to celebrate this faucet. And uh, so we, I designed a few different mugs. One that was pretty, like crazy. One that was, you know, one was very traditional. Uh, and then let our fans kind of vote which one they like. So they chose the traditional one uh, of the, you know, shorter mug with the handle. Um, but even then, I always try to find a way to combine functionality and experience. How do I improve the function and also the experience of drinking? Because these, I don't really make glasses to just grab and chug a beer, you know. You know, I make glasses that hopefully you slow down, you appreciate the beverage. You know, you're a little more mindful of your experience with the beer. So like with that uh, Foamy Boy, we've got this like kind of vintage diamond texture uh, and the handle is uh, in glass, we call it a Roman handle. It's got these three divides on it and it's all very ergonomic, but it's also beautiful with refractions of light. You know, very much like a diamond, it, it throws light around inside. So if you've got a gorgeous, clear, you know, straw-colored Czech lager in there, it's like a freaking disco light show, you know? 
so doing things like that is, is really fun that's really it's a beautiful glass i think i definitely gravitated towards it on the website a lot of your things are really really beautiful and so if i go to your your brewery do you serve the glassware out of that like if i order yeah. how i want to know how yeah. you deal with stealing yeah oh uh, so we have a real cute little sign above the door as you're leaving it says in cursive writing so it's cuter mm-hmm. uh please don't steal our fucking glasses yeah yeah uh, so that everyone gets <laughs> to see that i mean it still happens um which you know sucks because someone literally like like through their own body made each one of those glasses like we flat for each one of those glasses mm-hmm. so that kind of sucks but um we've got you know generally like we've got a great clientele in downtown Knoxville um and we got a really respectful group of people and most of the times craft beer people are very respectful and and pretty cool yeah. oh sure yeah of course yeah I just I because I saw the way some of your glassware is um you know, it's, it's handmade. So it, it the price yeah. point matches that. So I was like, wow, you guys use your own glass. That's bold. <laughs> it is, it is. But it was, it's cool to test it out though, because sure. I can say that, you know, these glasses are stronger than regular glass and they're tested in a commercial environment, you know, day in and day out. Um, so that's kind of cool because that is one of the things like we melt our, uh, base glass from scratch every week so we have all mass-produced glass is it utilizes cheap oxides and it's been melted out and it loses a lot of the structure and we get some really beautiful glass the the raw materials are mixed uh, by some friends out spruce by north carolina that we mix that up and it's really clear glass and it's super duper strong so that's kind of cool. That is cool. That was one of our questions. What you preach. Yeah, yeah. We were gonna say, <laughs> yeah. What was, yeah, what's the difference between the hand blown? And that's really cool that you've you kind of have a good system going where you utilize friends and you know how many people are making glass at the facility? Like, how many glass blowers do you? Uh, we've got six glass blowers here. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. That's so we're cool. going. We're going every day. And I can buy your glass like on the website or do you sell them? I'm assuming you sell them at the brewery. Do you go to other where like where can I find your products? If um, has a brewery ever other brewery reached out to you about doing proprietary glassware or special glassware? Like how does how does how do you fit into the craft beer scene as a glassblower when most people are just buying like 13 ounce Belgian tulip glasses and putting them? Yeah, Um. That's a great question. I want to talk about the glassware used at breweries uh, after this, but yeah, there's, there's a good deal of um, breweries that have our glasses. Um, most common is doing like mug clubs or anniversary releases, um, things like that. Um, those, those happen quite a bit and that's really fun. And like we just did, it wasn't beer glass related, but we just did some decanters for 18th street. Uh, brewing and distillery cool that turned out super duper nice um one of my favorite projects that we did was with embrace the funk in like i want to say 2017 2018 something like that it was when the eclipse came over tennessee 
and oh, yeah. Knoxville and Nashville were right on the line mm-hmm. uh, of the total eclipse. And so uh, Brandon did a uh, golden sour uh, at Embrace the Funk for the eclipse and had us do a glass where to go to release with the, the bottle. And so I designed this like, it was like all black, opaque black glass, and then did this crazy, like Swedish crawl technique that I'm never going to do again. It's such a pain in the ass. It looked <laughs> awesome, but it was so hard. And so we we uh, etched away um, an eclipse sun, and then oh. had the logo on the other side. So whenever you poured your beer into it, it was all blacked out, and then you had this beautiful like golden halo of beer became the eclipse. Whoa. Freaking I gotta look that up. Yeah. It was so cool. Yeah, I've got, I mean, I think I've got like one that I kept from that, but when they released Mm -hmm. that, it broke their website in like two minutes. (laughs) They sold out of the, and it was the most difficult commission. And then they were like, hey, we've already sold them all. We've got a lot of people on a wait list. Can you make 80 more? And I was like, (laughs) okay if i have to <laughs> if you have to <laughs> like let's wait thanks for adding stress onto this yeah. <laughs> um you mentioned how you know for the fizzy glass for example you designed the glass to showcase you, you your glass was influenced by the beer you were pouring and specifically the lucre uh-huh. tab does it ever yes. go the other way where like you have an idea for a glass you want to make this beautiful glass and then you, it actually influences the beer you make for it. Mm, that's a tough one. Hmm. I always, I'm always fascinated because I consider brewing and beer a, an art form in and of itself. And I'm always amazed mm-hmm. when, you know, musicians take their musical training to their brewing uh, or, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever. So I'm just, and you've mentioned a few things and I was just wondering how, how integrated your two arts are. But Yeah. I'm trying to think if I've ever designed a beer inspired by one of my glasses. I know recently or last year um, I was brewing and I had a deadline for uh, an art show at the gallery at Pretentious Glass. And it was like we were having a first Friday open and I was supposed to make three pieces or however many and I hadn't done it. And so I was like, all right, we're going to, I'm going to get both of the, and I was brewing all day. So I'm like, I'm just going to do them both at once. So I got all of the, after we had mashed out, uh, I got a bucket full of grain, wet spent grain, and then sculpted a like hollow bowl out of the bottom of the bucket of spent grain. And then went in with some uh, plain um, reactive glass color on the outside of some molten glass and blew into it and used the spit grain as a mold mm. to make this planter. And because the, well, because the grain was wet, it created a steam layer. So I didn't pick up a ton of grain, but the grain that I did uh, because of how part of it was melting and burning, it reacted to the glass color that was flame reactive and great gave it this crazy real organic kind of uh, mirrored like antiqued madness that was a lot of fun doing, doing both brewing and, and blowing glass in the same day 
how how inspirational like and like how thoughtful of you to be like well you know you do do fuse the two together quite well and it's really really cool to see i'm i'm a big yeah so at your brewery are you brewing all styles or are you guys focusing on lagers are you doing hazies what what's the what's the vibe like over in the brewing side so we hit being a, a sculptor and a craftsperson um, as my background, I try to approach that same way on the brew side. So we really focus on the craft of craft beer. We pretty much make as many different styles, whatever we're inspired by. We'll dive really deep into the history um, and the approach of that beer and why that beer came about. And then just explore it. We don't really do flagships. We keep, we make a bunch of, you know, lagers, IPAs, sours, stouts. Um, you know, Belgian beers, anything you can think of that we get inspired by, we'll just run with it. That's cool. So it's similar to a glassware where you're like, I'm going to let, I'm going to let my, you know, the glass do its thing. Whenever you're inspired by, you're like, let's do this this week. You kind of keep it loose. Uh-huh. And it's, yeah. We, yeah. yeah. Cool. Or, or we keep it inspired. Like mm-hmm. we just did, we've got like four loggers on tap right now. So about a year ago, we always had Czech Pilsners on tap, a Czech Pilsner since we started like five years ago. And I was like, I want to expand our lager program. So I wanted to hit, um, you know, uh, a Pils, Czech Pils, German Pils, an Italian Pils, and a Hellas. Uh, and then we also have our Marzen that we've actually been making year round. Oh, and, I love a year-round um, Marzen. And, a, and a, our Bach. Um, and so I was like, all right, we're going into, we're, we're doing lagers. Let's dive deep into base malts, our Pilsner malt. You know, and what expressions can we get from, you know, using floor malted Czech malt um, versus German Pilsner versus American Canadian Pilsner. What are we going to use when? It's not just one Pilsner malt that we have in house, but being more responsive to the base style. Mm. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah, it seems like you take a really artistic approach to both, which I, as an artist myself, uh, I'm, yeah? something, I'm something of an artist myself, as I would say. As a, as a, <laughs> um, I find very inspiring. So I really appreciate um, that, both sides of that. Um, Don, uh, do you have any other questions? Uh, I actually had a lot of questions I wanted to yeah. ask. And then Matthew just on his own answered you them did, without yeah. my asking. Yeah, it we was awesome. I go on tangents. I'm sorry. No, 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 no tangents. No. That was no, no, this spot is the... on what I wanted to hear. Yeah. Awesome. So we were, yeah. Um, Matthew, how can people find the glassware, find your brewery? What's the socials website for? Yeah. Pretentious glass is all of our socials. Um, uh, pretentiousglassco.com is our website and also same thing pretentiousbeerco.com and they'll take you to either one um, but we do that you know we do we've got a big shop on etsy um, that we keep up to date with everything and yeah cool awesome well thank you for your time today your glassware is beautiful so thank you for uh thank you for bringing some art like artistic uh you know, I just the art, the artists, the words, the artists that you have uh, is really inspiring. So thank you for that. And uh, thank you for your time today. Oh, thank you, guys. This is a lot of fun. Yeah. Cool. Cheers, Matthew. Cheers. Cheers.
Charles Finkel is a designer, entrepreneur, artist, and founder of Bonvin, Merchant Duvin, and the Pike Brewing Company in Seattle, Washington. Charles began marketing wines from small family-owned California wineries in the 1970s and was the first to market the wines of Washington State throughout the country. Charles and Roseanne founded Pike Place Brewery, now known as Pike Brewing Company, in 1989. Welcome to the show, Charles. Thank you, Anne. It's a pleasure to be here. So we've been told by a certain person that you have an enormous collection of glassware. Is this true? Uh, I have actually an enormous uh, collection of beer, yeah, beer drink drinking beer. vessels. Yes. Some, um, some, of which is, some of which is glass, but actually yeah. most of the tankards and uh, mugs and uh, steins are mm -hmm. not glass. They're ceramic, they're uh, porcelain, pewter, silver, wood, leather, Ooh. other oh. other materials. So how glass. Did, yeah, how did this get how did this collection get started? I know that you have a, I've been to Pike and I know the Buriana surrounding going to Pike it's beautiful. Um but Thank how you. did how did this drinkware collection start? Well, it started long before Pike. I mm -hmm. I'm as John may tell you, I'm an inveterate collector of all manner of things and uh and the smaller they are, the more likely I am to collect them. So, I'm not inclined to collect cars or or uh, motorcycles or anything like that although i do have several bicycles uh but uh beer drinking vessels are beautiful for one thing uh, i'm very interested in the aesthetics of them uh they're functional in that i love beer and the, the nicer the vessel the the more wonderful the experience in a lot of cases and they're evocative of the travels that I've done. And I presume you all have done as well. You just said you've been to Seattle to Pike. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can't help but uh, think of uh, my friends in Bavaria when I handled one of those beautiful uh, stoneware steins, uh, and particularly from Einger Brewery. I've been to many a... a uh, festival with Franz Inselkammer, the, the Broy von Eying, and uh, consumed, pleasurably consumed uh, lots of great beer from, from those steins, but also uh, from delicate uh, etched glassware or uh, uh, beautiful lidded uh, tankards. So uh, as long as I can remember, I mean, I went to Europe for the first time in 1964, and uh, I began my collection not only of uh, uh, beer vessels, well, I'll call them beer glasses for lack of, uh, just to make it a little simpler, yeah. <laughs> beer glasses. And in fact, one of my favorite possessions is a, not a, 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 a beer tankard, but rather a, a 16th century etching of a uh, a beautiful uh, tanker from mm. germany i got in munich i traded uh, kennedy half dollars for uh that and it's continued to be in fact i'm looking at it as i as i run out it's just beautiful and when i photographed it i actually photographed it for the book the connoisseur's guide to the world's best beers mm -hmm. and juxtaposed with some 
bottles of beer and you couldn't really tell that it was an etching, but rather that looked like a, a real tanker behind. So I've been collecting things all my life and, and uh, I particularly uh, have always enjoyed collecting things having to do with beer. And as you can tell by visiting Pike, it's not just oh, yeah. beer drinking vessels, but also ephemera, labels, uh, posters, coasters. And I'm still looking for beer toasters, but I haven't found any of those yet. <laughs> how many vessels do you think you possess? Like, well, oh, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I've never counted them, but <laughs> I, I think in the range of a thousand or oh, oh, wow. maybe more than that. And are these I, displayed? I know that. Some, I mean, are yeah, some of them at or are they in your home? How is it? Uh, how are they? How do you I, display I have your them, glassware? I'm, I'm a non-discriminatory exhibitor. Uh, I have them at home mm -hmm. and I have a collection of really nice wooden tankards at home and also a, a beautiful uh, uh, leather uh, tankard and uh, lots of stone, early stoneware and some uh, ceramics of various kinds and some etched glass. Uh, and it, at Pike, and those are displayed just around my office primarily. I try mm -hmm. not to be uh, beer consumptive in every part of the house, beer centric, I should say. Uh, but at Pike, we purposely built huge display cabinets, steel display cabinets that are uh, uh, impregnable and uh, uh, inaccessible other than to look at. Mm -hmm. In fact, so much so that uh, when they were screwed in, I'm unable to get them apart. So I, it's like a, a, uh, <laughs> you know, a bank vault. It's uh, the, not only can other people not get them, neither can I. And those are devoted to primarily tankards uh, rather, rather than glasses. Some are glass. And uh and uh, then I have them hanging all over the place, also secured with uh, thick uh, uh, clamped wires. And those are all around the bar, all around the museum, upstairs, downstairs, uh, pretty much everywhere you look. But the nicest ones are on display. Yeah, it's if, if anyone needs to go, to, you should go to Pike because it is, I was there. 2018 and it's it was a really nice place to have a pint and see all I, it was like I've never felt like I've been drinking in a museum before until yeah. I went to Pike uh, and the beer well, well, my, my, and the, my yeah. favorite my favorite of those by the way is a uh, a uh, stoneware mug with a, a hand-painted uh, portrait of a monk or a priest giving absolution to one of his parishioners a woman by fondling her breasts <laughs> but that's there are other good, that's there are other good ones as well <laughs> oh boy um <laughs> so they come in every shape and size including oh, sure. one one series that's all the family portraits on the on the steins so you have uh -huh. uh, aunt mary and uncle uncle fritz and and the whole gang hmm. right there on their mugs so they know what not Which to one? pick up the inappropriate one well, <laughs> uh, what is the earliest like vessel that you uh, currently own? Like how well, old? I'm sitting here looking at a couple of, of vessels that are, uh, I think, 18th century. One says beer, B-I-E-R-R-E. -R -R -E. 
Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. a uh, it's a stoneware with kind of a irregular sunburst pattern and just the words beer stenciled on there. It's blue and white. It's gorgeous. And I have another one that uh, is similar with a with a lid. The one that says beer may probably had a lid at one time, but the other one uh, just says liter l i t r e, and uh, it's a beer glass. Those are those I love, and uh, and those are quite old. And I also have a collection of very old uh, stoneware mugs. Not on the material is the same as you see in a modern, like I mentioned the Iger mugs earlier, but uh, a modern Bavarian uh, beer mug or Stein. Uh, but these are hand so handmade that you can actually see the the clay, the way that they apply the clay and some are circular and some are vertical and, uh, uh, but all of them are are irregular and and in my view, very handsome. Mm. So those those date from the 18th century as well. And I have a lot of 19th century and most of it, most everything I have is is older, uh, at least before the second world war. And uh, but most of it before the turn of the, the previous century. Hmm. So not only not only with the, the uh, glassware, but also with uh, pretty much everything, the signs and the labels and all, all of the bottles that we have at five. Where do you find them? Do you do you spend a lot of your travel time combing antique well, shops or? I'm I'm of an age that uh, I was uh, hunting for. Uh, ephemera, I'll use that term, uh, way before there was an internet. So uh, one of the things that I did, I was mentioned, I went to Europe for the first time in 1964. One of the first things I did wherever I went was go seek out antique shops and mm-hmm. and uh, look around, not specifically for uh, beer mugs, but for uh, anything having to do with drinks, wine, beer, spirits, uh advertising material and not all of these are advertised material as i said some are just personal uh, uh articles that that people uh had made for them but i love the ones that have advertising on them the old the very old ones normally don't have advertising on them but i do have some that are old that, that have that and then when uh when uh the internet exploded so did my ability to procure uh, varied items, beer trays. I didn't mention that. I have thousands of beer trays. And, and uh, when eBay first started, uh, I could look on their antique beer trays or antique beer steins, mugs, vessels, glasses. Each of those is a different category that someone may or may not have listed there the item that that uh, they inherited from grandpa. And uh, so I was able to procure them that way. So a little bit of both. But uh, as I travel these days, I'm less inclined to go to antique shops first because I have I've filled up my space. So I don't have much room for anything. <laughs> and uh, a second, because I'm not the only person that's discovered uh, uh you know, collecting all this stuff, and and uh, nor was I the first. People have been collecting beer-related items as long as there's been beer, which is you know thousands of years. And coincidentally, the beer, the, the glass, 
came from the same place that beer came from, Mesopotamia and Egypt. So that, that was the first use of glass. It was very expensive and, of course, hand-blown. And it wasn't until the 18th, uh, to the Industrial Revolution in the 17th, 18th century that that uh, mass market uh, glass became available and cheap. And that's where m most of the modern uh, beer drinking vessels uh, came from. Mass ability to make them in a factory rather than by hand. Right. How do you view the current state of glassware through like your brewery on a background? Like, do you like the current state of glassware? There's a lot of choice or... Or is it? Oh, uh, it seems to be the. Or, you know, how do you the feel? Pi about it? The the pint glass seems to be the glass of choice for craft brewers. Uh, we also have the the uh, uh, is it Tiku Turku? Yeah, yeah the Teku, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And I personally like that. It's a little bit delicate, and particularly in regard to sell us serving large volumes of beer, which we do, mm -hmm. uh, it's not as practical. It easily breaks more easily. And uh, it's it's uh, it, it's much more expensive in the beginning, but uh, and a lot of people say well the worst glass for the beer itself is the pint the traditional uh, uh, pint beer glass just a sloped uh, uh, pint glass, but I've had many a nice beers from that mm -hmm. glass, and I use them at home too well, for the same reason they're they're less delicate and not not inclined to break. I have I have at home wooden mugs from Pincus Muller. I actually keep nuts in those where they have, they have <laughs> lids on them, wooden lids. Uh, they're great. And I have Tiku and pints and uh, elegant uh, etched glasses from uh, from Bohemia, 19th century and uh lots of different ones and I, I use those when i'm entertaining the the the, the beautiful etch glasses but just for everyday glasses normally i'll either use a tiku or the or the pipe glass besides so, the, I mean, there's the, been a, yeah there's been a lot of discussion among craft brewers mm -hmm. as to what what the glass accentuates the aroma uh, of the beer right and uh you know, I, I agree with that. I've tasted beer for a lot of uh, different ones. And, and that's certainly a motivation for choosing one, one vessel over the other. Uh, but on the other hand, a motivation also is the practicality and convenience and also the aesthetics. So when you're having an elegant dinner, you don't want to serve it in a, uh, some people would say when you have an elegant dinner, you might not want to serve beer, but in my case, I, I think those are two totally compatible things. Absolutely, and absolutely. Uh, and uh, so I try to serve that in an elegant glass rather than a, just a, uh, some people call a, a, a pounder. Right. <laughs> do, do you Not have, me. Yeah. I mean, I like a good shaker pint glass. Those are those shaker, are Is that what you yeah. call it? Yeah, I call it a shaker pint. It's good. It's, you know, you throw them in the dishwasher and they're, it's, it's, it is, it's, it's a heavier glass. It feels it's like got more substance to it, but yeah, a lot exactly. of people, don't, well, you feel lot like people don't like them. feel like you're drinking more beer. Yeah. <laughs> so besides the cheeky monk, um, uh, 
tankard do you have a favorite glassware like at home do you the one that you stop by all the time and you're like oh my god i can't believe i own this this is amazing oh well i have several i have one that's here in front of me that's uh a commemorative glass it's, this is a, this is a a mug mug shape but it's it's made of crystal and it commemorates let me put my glasses on just to to affirm what it commemorates the coronation of May 12, 1937, of uh, Robert the Stuart, 1371, to King George the Sixth, 1936. Oh wow! And wow. it has a beautiful, it has a beautiful crown etched in the glass and a, or in the crystal, and uh, beautiful uh, initials. And and flowers and the text on the front and the back. I love that one. I love. I have several Capodimonte. That's a Capodimonte uh, was the Italian equivalent to Myosin or or Nymphenburg or Royal Copenhagen. It was owned by the King of Naples, uh, the state of of Naples, and uh, was one of the finest porcelain manufacturers in the world. Uh, and I have several of the the uh, uh, tankards from from them. And I one of my favorite is the is a tankard that's uh, a little bit uh, oxymoronic, and that is a tankard from the first World's Fair that we had here in Seattle, called the Alaska Yukon Pacific Exhibition. And uh, it's made by Rural Dalton in England, but it has this beautiful logo of an uh, indigenous person and a a muse and a, I guess a, 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 a modern person. Uh, and uh, the one that's oxymoronic about it is that that uh, that was in 1909 and uh, they the World's Fair decided they didn't want to allow alcohol on the premises. So <laughs> even, even though there was a big beer stein, uh, you couldn't drink there or presumably you couldn't. But I grew up in Oklahoma where we had prohibition until I was in high school and our favorite son, Will Rogers was famous for having said people stumble to the polls to vote dry. So I guess it, uh, <laughs> it falls into the, what else is new category. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. There's a, I mean, you should, you should make like a video of all the, all your tankards and explain them because just listening to you talk about, what you have is fascinating. Yeah, I feel like oh, there's thanks. a book there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a lot of I've I've got all manner of things to uh, record, mm -hmm. including my life, and uh, and it is my plan to do that in the in the form of a book or two or three. But uh, at the moment, I continue to uh, work uh, for Pike Brewing Company, and uh, so that consumes a lot of my time. Plus doing a little traveling. Oh, sure. Did you last year, last year, I went to Egypt, uh, in, oh, cool. in part, in part to learn about, uh, beer. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, I, there I saw in the Egyptian museum, uh, glass, I'm not sure it was wine or beer from King Tut's tomb, beautiful gold encrusted, uh, uh, glass. And, uh, there were other, uh, lots of different drinking vessels there as well. That was interesting. 
Mm. That's really cool. So you still work at Pike. Do you are you the one that decides what glassware to use, or is that someone else, or do you have a hand in deciding how what things? Yeah, we're we're, we're kind of a team, uh, a team effort. We have a team effort to decide on pretty much everything, and mm-hmm. we, with the ex- uh, exception of the, t- how do you pronounce it? Tiku is that it? Yeah, I say Teku, but I think you can say Tiku. Okay, Teku. Mm-hmm. And aside from that, we really haven't changed too much. That same pint or mm-hmm. a half half size of that is we call it a schooner. Right. Yes. Well, that yes. word schooner, uh, I'm not sure what the origin of that is, but I've I've tried to figure out w- what is a schooner, and it in some cases it implies a larger volume of beer, and other in our yes. case it implies a half a volume of of a half a pint and uh so schooners a lot of glassware is is uh name has names and uh some are kind of cute names like nonic that's the glass that i was most familiar with from from yorkshire mm-hmm. and it's called a nonic because it has kind of a bulbous top that that when you when you toast someone you don't click the edge and as a result, you don't nick the glass. And uh, so that, that's kind of a neat glass, too. And uh, I think the English are the only ones that have a no-nick, although other places have glasses that, that have that bulbous top as well. And a chalice, you know, that's a very broad term. I'm also a gardener. So someone says, is that a daisy? Well, that's, you know, that's not the botanical name. <laughs> that just happens to be a common name that, that a lot of people call a lot of different flowers. And the same is true of the beer beer vessels. They, they have names and, and pokel and, and tankard and stein and glass and pounder and, you know, all, that are not all the same in all the places. Right. It makes it confusing to the, to the person that, that wants to know about them it's true because i always thought schooner to me is a half pour so when i went to pike i had a schooner of your munich dunkel uh-huh. and then i've gone to places like in australia a half pour in victoria is a pot it's 10 ounce pour but then you would go to sydney and you couldn't order a pot they don't know what that term is how, how do you so, spell that like pot like p-o-t that's uh-huh. a half, it's a half pour pot, in, pot of beer. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a half pour in Victoria, in Southern Australia, and then you go to other places in Southern Australia, and they don't call it that. So I really enjoy the regionalism of yeah, beer glassware and naming and what you call a pint or is it a really is it a real pint? It's it's always really cool and interesting, especially when you travel. Well, in in England and in Germany, uh, there's a regulation that you have mm-hmm. to put the the uh, volume of the beer on, on the glass. Yeah. Whereas we don't have such a regulation here. Yeah, I had a friend from England move to New York and they, they gave him less than the full pour. And he went up and asked for a top up because that's what you would do in England. And the bartender was like, you're a yeah. moron. <laughs> oh, you're <laughs> like, right. Exactly. I'm not going to give they- you more beer. <laughs> That's not well, healthy. the English are are pretty resolute in what, what they expect, and uh, they I've I've read several things and talked to people about the fact that they feel that they're cheated if there's too big a head. 
On the yeah. other hand, I I like the head, and I and also I like the smaller glass because I tend not to want to drink a huge volume. And uh, but uh, I think if you fill the glass up without mm-hmm. having any head, you're you're uh, depriving yourself of the pleasure of the uh, of the visual aspect of the of the beer with the head contrasting the beer itself and the aromatic uh, yeah. aspect of the beer, yeah. which is intensified by having a head. Yeah, foam is very important. I'm always a big fan of just, yeah, a couple and two, usually an inch or two of foam is always very important. I call the, it the helmet, the helmet <laughs> of the beer. The, the best beer glasses in in the UK, they do actually have ones where there is the fill line, but there's still, there's still room above the fill line uh, for a foam cap. Yeah. Uh, so those are the ones I like. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think most of them are that way. Uh, now there's, there's room above the fill. The fill line is not the top of the glass. Yeah. But, but the consumer doesn't always know that, particularly mm-hmm. after he's had a few pints of beer <laughs> and uh, insist that they fill it to the top or, or they're cheated or they feel cheated. I should say they're not cheated. Don did, Don, did you have any more questions? No, I, th- this was fascinating. Love it. I want to, Charles, I really, I, if you have time or like, you know, if you have, yeah, a book or uh, I'd love to see some pictures or, you know what I think more importantly is Don and I should go to Seattle. Yes. Yeah. And... I'd, sh- I'd be happy to, to introduce you to that priest that's providing <laughs> absolution. I don't know if to I, know if I want to meet that priest. <laughs> well, but this is a pretty pretty arcane subject that you asked me yeah. to speak about i mean i've been i've been, I've been interviewed a lot of times about beer but uh, never about the, the the vessels themselves and i'm happy to it challenges me a little bit to uh to co- consider your questions well good we're, we're very happy that you came on um where can people learn about yourself and uh pike brewing or anything else you'd like to well, Pike Brewing has a good website, pikebrewing.com. And uh, the Charles Finkel has a Wikipedia. I have a Wikipedia page that you can probably learn more about me than, than uh, that you want, that you want to. And, uh, and just look online and uh, there are lots of photographs uh, of me and of my wife, Roseanne, who sadly died about three years ago. And we were a team. And uh, so a lot of the photographs that, that you would see on there would, would have both of them in, in them. In fact, uh, a local magazine, Seattle Magazine, uh, contacted me and asked me to be on the cover of their, uh, their magazine. And I said, well, I, I come with a, you know, a, a team member, my wife, Roseanne. And uh, if you want to take my picture, you, please do it with, with her. And the person that asked me said, well, I better talk to, I've got to talk to the editor first. So uh, she talked to the editor and Roseanne and I ended up on the cover of the magazine. Oh, beautiful. That's yeah. wonderful. So it just looked Charles, uh, up Charles Finkel on the internet and, and you'll once again, find a lot of stuff. Awesome. Well, Charles, thank you so much for your time. And uh, I look forward to seeing what other glasses you uh you procure because you're quite yeah, the collector. When you, when you come, I'll invite you over to my house as well, and you'll see some of the some of the other ones that I have. Oh, we would love awesome. that. Well, but anyone you. can yeah. anyone could go to Pike and see the yeah. wall of tankards on the first the first avenue level, and more tankards down in the pub, which is one <laughs> level below. 
and it's yeah, a very unique experience. I highly recommend anyone go to Pike uh, for the beer and the the history. It's a fascinating, wonderful place that you've created. So thank you for thank that. Thank you and, so much. Yeah, and thank you for your time. Good to talk to you, Em. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. Don, what do you think about that show? I mean, I'm I'm all thinking about Glassware now. <laughs> um, I loved it. I love this is exactly the type of stuff I love, as you know. Oh my god, um, the I whole know. psychology of flavor and everything. And so mm-hmm. um yeah, mind blown. You are you gonna stop drinking out of a juice? No, jar never. Now or? No, yeah. never. Um, I just <laughs> I, there's I'm going what I am going to do though is I have a pan like a built-in in my dining room full of glassware I never use. Um Pilsner Arkell mugs, the Belgian glassware, you know, things I always think are too fancy. And I'm going to give those a nice wash and I'm going to start using them in my regular rotation because they really do. I think they elevate the drinking experience. So you should really, you know, they shouldn't just sit there and collect dust. They no. should be, they should be used. So what, 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 uh, Waste not, why not, right? So Absolutely. you got you to use them. Yes. So visit allaboutbeer.com and follow us on social media at allaboutbeer. And if you're feeling generous, visit our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash allaboutbeer to support this show and others. If you have any questions for the experts, email podcast at allaboutbeer.com. That's also the email for feedback, suggestions, or to inquire about supporting the show through advertising. Speaking of advertising, here's a short word from our sponsors. Attention all managers and team leaders. Are you looking to provide your staff with the best training in the beer industry? Look no further than the Beer Savvy Online by the Cicerone Certification Program. With their online training, your team can master the fundamentals of excellent beer service, beer styles, and flavor in just a few hours. Plus, you can monitor their learning progress as a manager. And here's some exciting news. Saturday, April 22nd, is Beer Clean Glass Day, a day that celebrates the importance of clean glassware and beer service. What better way to mark this occasion by ensuring your team is well-trained in all aspects of beer service, including maintaining clean glassware? By completing the Beer Savvy course, your team can earn a globally recognized beer industry credential and set your business apart as a leader in the industry. To learn more about Beer Savvy Online and group training options, visit Cicerone.org and click on the group training button. Give your staff the tools they need to succeed in the beer industry today. All About Beer is back, and we're asking for your support to help provide the independent beer media this rich and colorful industry deserves. Visit our website, allaboutbeer.com, where we're frequently posting new content. And please consider throwing us a few bucks at patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. We have low-cost memberships for individuals and small and large companies alike. Every dollar goes to help produce new articles and podcasts. Estrella Galicia is an independent, family-owned brewery in Northwest Spain, founded in 1906. Estrella Galicia Cerveza Especial is a world-class lager, brewed using the finest Spanish malts, locally cultivated Galician hops, and the best brewing practices made out of the state-of-the-art facility in Acruña. Recognized around the world for quality and exceptional character, Estrella Galicia is a beer like no other. To learn more about Estrella Galicia, follow them at Estrella Galicia USA on Instagram. Before we go, if you like this podcast, one easy thing you can do to help us is give us a five-star review on your favorite podcasting app. That helps other people find the show. We would also appreciate it if you would let your beer-loving friends know about the All About Beer podcast to help us spread the gospel of good beer. So, Don, how can people reach out to you? Uh, on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at the Dawn of Beer, and people can feel free to email me at dawn at the dawn of beer.com. How about you? 
I am at Pints and Panels across all social media, and my website is www.pintsandpanels.com. This show is produced by All About Beer. Visit allaboutbeer.com for articles, notes on this show and others, and to connect via the newsletter and social media. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.